Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer turned personal trainer and coach. Each week, it is my goal to bring you a unique story of an elite athlete's mindset to help you unlock and discover your life's potential. Today, I had the chance to sit down with three-time Olympian, four-time Olympic medalist, and 18-time NCAA champion, yes, you heard that right, founder of the Lead Sports Summit, Kara. Kara has great insight and shares what goes into the success that she's had in life. It's not always an easy journey, but with the advice that Kara shares here, becoming a champion in your own right becomes just a little bit easier. So without further ado, please welcome on Kara. Hello. Hey, Carolyn. It's Corey. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Good. How are you hanging in there? Oh, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Let's jump into things here. How did you get started with swimming? Uh, Kind of what was your background in getting involved in the sport? Um, I started swimming at a pretty young age. I I was um, probably younger than most. I started when I was five and actually wanted to be a gymnast. But I have two older brothers that wanted to be on the swim team. So that's probably how, like, a lot of younger siblings end up you know doing their sport as you kind of get thrown in to what your older siblings want to do but the gymnastics thing you know never would have worked out I'm I'm six feet tall and um (laughs) I can can, like I can just kind of like visualize myself on a balance beam and and just full disaster so yeah but I was I was pretty young and from the I think from the beginning though it was like I love I love being in the water this is definitely my sport and um I stuck with it, you know, obviously for a very long time after that. Yeah. Was there a certain point maybe early on in your career that you realized, you know, maybe you'd make it to swimming division one, winning NCAAs, not just once, but a few times, and then eventually all the Olympics that you were able to qualify for and all that? Like, was there a point in time where I was like, oh, this is all going to happen? Yeah. Or like, when was that moment in your career that you were like, okay, yeah, I could be pretty good at this sport, like better than most. <laughs> I don't I don't know if it ever happened, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> I never quite had the epiphany of like, like looking into the future, like this is all going to like mm-hmm. unfold just as I, you know, just as I planned. But I definitely had like a couple pivotal moments throughout my career. And like, they probably sound really insignificant. Like some of them, I think, sound really insignificant but to me I can look back and be like man that was like a really big moment in my career you know and it can be something as simple as qualifying for zones at 10 years old or um qualifying for olympic trials at 14 but um I I think you know I I definitely always had larger goals that I wanted to accomplish and I just always felt like I was looking up like these steps on the ladder like I know my goals at the very top and what can I do um every day and if that day was I was at swim practice or if that day I was at a meet, what can I do today to get myself one step higher on this ladder? How did you learn that process of goal setting? And You know, I think a lot of the goal setting stuff was really self-taught, but you know, swimming, it's, it's such a universally relatable sport to other swimmers. Like we, we mm. just kind of speak a different language than, <laughs> than other athletes. And I think every young swimmer dreams of going to the Olympics. Like it's, it's just, it's the pinnacle of our sport. It's what we, you know, all aspire to do and to be and, and, you know, being that hero 
you know, for Team USA and everybody at home on TV watching and cheering. And so for me, you know, I, I set that goal at a really young age, like a lot of swimmers do. I think I was seven years old when um, I first figured out what the Olympics were and that it was something that, you know, normal people could do. And so I just, you know, very early on put that at the top of my ladder. And obviously at that age, I didn't realize how many steps on the ladder there was. <laughs> and, you know, the, I think the, the better you get, it's almost like more steps get added. But yeah, but it, I think it was more just like an intuitive thing for me that I took on and, and just kind of figured it out as I went. That's awesome. It's funny you mentioned that my parents are in the midst of doing a bunch of spring cleaning given that they have more time at home. And my mom shared with me a worksheet that I filled out when I personally was 10 years old. And on it was like career goals, become Olympian by 25. <laughs> I, was, I, was 10, See, yeah. I was like, oh, I didn't quite get there. And my like process goal on there was like, all I have to do is go 103 and 100 back. And then like the next step was Olympian. And in a 10-year-old's mind, that, like, totally made sense to me. Yes, <laughs> Now, exactly. looking, looking back on my career, I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, there's a lot more that goes into it. Obviously, I never made it to that level, but <laughs> I'm a, a lot more aware of the process that goes into it. How, yeah, to, oh, to be so simple-minded again. <laughs> <laughs> Things were a little remember, bit easier there. <laughs> yeah, I remember, like, um, looking around, you know, I'd be at, like, my, my district or my state championship and I'd be getting like fourth or fifth place and be like, okay, so in order to win a medal at the Olympics, I have to beat, you know, whoever's in the lane next to me, like thinking that the people that I'm racing right then and there in upstate New York, I'm going to be racing you know, on the Olympic playing field. And, um, but yeah, the, the steps definitely increase the, the more enlightened you become as you get older. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Can you describe that first Olympic experience for yourself? Yes. <laughs> it's it's really weird to, you know, when you're 18, you kind of think you're older, but I look back now and I'm like, gosh, I was such a, a young kid. So I, I qualified for my first Olympics in 2004 mm -hmm. and um, it was right after my freshman year of college and I was 18 years old. And I think a lot of qualifying for the Olympics, you know, it's obviously hard work and, and nobody wants to take that away from you, but a lot of it is, is luck and a lot of it is timing. And, you know, I was very fortunate to qualify for three Olympic Games, but I think about like, man, what if my first Olympic trials or, you know, the 2004 trials fell the summer that I was 17, like I wouldn't have made the Olympics. And I just was so lucky that, you know, the year I was born and the way things fell into place that um, I was very fortunate that I was able to qualify when I was 18 years old. And I... I knew nothing. And it's also really weird to like do like achieve your dream that you always wanted to do like my lifelong dream to go to the Olympics and you do it at 18. And then you're like, wait a minute now, what do I do? Mm -hmm. But that first experience, um, it was cool. You know, we, as a whole team USA was, was relatively young. So there was, I was not the youngest kid on the team by far. Mm -hmm. And, um, one of <laughs> my roommates, um, throughout the Olympics, throughout training camp and, and then our time in Athens, Greece was Amanda Weir who is a competitor of mine and um, has to this day remained one of my, my closest friends. So we really bonded on that trip. And I mean, whatever you can think, 
that would go wrong with two like 18 year old kids in a foreign country it went wrong I think I lost my passport I lost my cell phone lost my luggage like I missed team meetings because I was so jet lagged that I overslept um Amanda and I missed a practice at one point because the door in our in our dorm in the athlete village in Greece um the lock was kind of backwards and we locked ourselves into our room somehow (laughs) and it was just like a, a series of events that I look back now and I'm like how did I even make it to the block so it was time to race but somehow I did and it was uh you know it was such a a magical experience and the feeling of being on the podium the feeling of having teammates who you have only ever you know idolized and watched on tv I mean Jenny Thompson was my teammate in 2004 and, and she was one of my heroes growing up um so it's it's like a almost like a mind-blowing thing when all of these like revelations and dreams and everything come true all at once. And I remember when I was leaving Athens being like, man, it was really cool to accomplish the thing that I always wanted to do, but it it only made me more hungry to want to go back and do it again and and improve on that experience and and you know, be a more like do more for Team USA, whatever I could. You just you get your first taste of it and um you know, you just want to go back and, and do it again. Yeah, definitely. And it seems like, I mean, you obviously experienced a few full circle moments of being able to be around people that you looked up to as a kid and as an age group swimmer. And then you were fortunate enough to have made a couple more Olympics after that. And I'm sure some of your future teammates had that same kind of reaction that you had back in 04, but with you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. It's, um, I, it's also, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very fortunate thing to be able to compete in, in more than one Olympics. And I, and I realized that, and, and again, it is a lot of luck. It's a lot of, um, timing, you know, health, like there's just so many factors that go into it. And so I don't take it for granted and I don't take, you know, being able to represent my country for granted. And, um, probably the best part, you know, like what's the best part about the Olympics? The best part is just, um, the people that you meet and what they can teach you. And the thing about sports, like even if you take your sport all the way, you take it as far as you can, whether that's swimming, whether that's football, baseball, whatever it is, it's still such a small part of your life as a whole because someday it does end. And the greatest thing that you can take away from it is is the relationships that you built mm-hmm. and you know the, the fundamental um, bond that you create with these other incredible people um so that's i think that's the thing i'm most grateful for yeah 100 percent. i look at um my dad swam division one as well way back in the day and he still to this day gets together with like his other medley relay guys like <laughs> once that. a month at a bar and they just you know hang out and share their memories and stuff and i was mm-hmm. like man like, growing up, I was like, that's what I want to get out of this sport. I don't care. Like, the accolades are awesome. However I do is how I do. But the long term, I think you hit the nail on the head, is is those building those relationships that help you and they go beyond just the pool and your swimming days. For sure. It's, you know, as we speak right now, I'm on a group text with um, my class at Georgia about getting together for a Zoom happy hour so we can all catch up. <laughs> that seems to be part of the new normal. Um, right, right, right now. yeah. Um, but everyone's adjusting. 
Now, I want to talk about kind of your approach specifically to kind of swimming in general. Did it change kind of as you gained more experience and as you raced at all these different levels? Or was it some underlying consistent thing and you just kind of added on bits and pieces as you went? I I would say probably the second. It's probably some underlying, um, you know, there's like really like the foundation of who I am as a swimmer. And as I got older, as I got more experience, um, you know, as I realized, you know, how many steps I was going to have to take on this ladder, um, I definitely made modifications. And, and I'm sure a lot of athletes that started swimming at a young age and continue swimming, you know, past high school through college. And then if you're lucky past college into professional swimming, you just, you you have to make changes. You're not a, you're not a kid anymore. And, you know, the first thing that comes to mind obviously is, is your diet. You know, when you're a kid, you can kind of get away with eating anything. You're still growing and you're burning a million calories a day. And just by the, the sheer like matter of you getting stronger daily, you're going to get faster. And when that stops, when you stop growing, um, you really kind of reevaluate. You're like, wait a minute, I'm going to meets and I'm not going best times. Every time I get in the water, what's going on? Okay, um, what are the things that I can control? And of course, like a big one is how am I fueling my body? You know, another one is, is your technique. And so as I progressed through the sport, I became such a student of the sport and I'm I am probably one of the biggest swim nerds out there. Um, I credit a lot of things to me becoming a swim nerd, um, but I I have studied this sport for so long, and I studied my teammates, and I studied the people that were doing really well. And um, I think like some of the biggest advice that I always give to kids that I'm coaching or that I'm mentoring is, you know, when you're at a swim meet and let's say you're in heat three of six heats after you swim, just get out and watch, you know, the people that are faster than you watch the people that are doing what you're doing, but just a little bit better. And what can you learn from them? What can you pick up from them? Because one of the best ways to learn is just by watching and then doing and, and just being immersed in an atmosphere where, um, where you're not the best, you're not the biggest fish. And, and that's such a great place to be because it's an opportunity for tremendous growth. So um, I I am such a swim nerd, and um, I'm a like I love stroke technique. I love um, you know dissecting that stuff, and and that really evolved as I became a you know a bigger and more studious athlete. Mm-hmm. I think you hit it there by saying you focused on what you could control. I think that's the biggest thing that kids younger athletes overlook they look at they forget about diet and they get lost in all these uncontrollables and they just need to focus in on what they can control whether it's what they're fueling their body how much sleep they're getting whether it's they're learning from those around them their coaches other teammates or competitors i think that's a huge Mm -hmm. overlooked aspect so you and i actually we differ i swim distance um you were a top-level sprinter. Kind of, there's an added pressure, I think, with being a sprinter, of everything has to be perfect in some sense. Like your start, your turn, and your finish. That's really all you have. How did you learn to kind of approach that kind of race? Because I was never able to to master it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> it is about perfection, um, and and it helps. You know, I'm 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 such a perfectionist with a lot of things in my life. 
So I think it works out that I'm a 50 freestyler. Although I much respect for being a distance freestyler. <laughs> I think like my ideal situation, I always wanted to swim distance because I trained distance growing up. I loved getting yardage in as weird as that sounds. Um, but I ended up, you know, just kind of specializing. I think my, my body was more suited for sprinting, mm-hmm. but I think you can perfect a lot of races. It's not just the, the sprint freestyle, but it really shines through a sprint freestyle. Um, and I, used to try to think of my 50 free as, and I'm going to go back to gymnastics, but like a a balance beam routine. Like if you're watching the Olympics and you see Simone Biles on the balance beam, she isn't like stepping up there and she's like, okay, what am I feeling today? Maybe a couple twists, maybe a few flips, like maybe, you know, something where my leg dangles over the side. Mm -hmm. Like she's not making up anything as she goes. Every single thing that she's doing has been practiced and rehearsed like thousands of times and she competes that same routine all season and when she gets to the olympics it's her opportunity to try to put together the best version of that like the 10 of that and i i see the 50 freestyle as exactly the same way like whether it's the beginning of the season and i'm doing my first 50 in a dual meet or in a smaller meet i try to put together the race that I want at the end of the season. And that means like, how many dolphin kicks am I going to do off the start? How many kicks off my turn? Um, how many breaths am I going to take? Where are those breaths going to happen? And, and even down to my stroke count, my head position, like any detail that you can try to pick up on or put together. I think it's like, you just try to master that over and over and over again. So that when I'm swimming in finals at Olympic trials or in the Olympics, I'm not doing anything for the first time. Mm-hmm. Everything else on autopilot because I'm doing it for the 10,000th time. And um, that's really how I tried to approach that race. Yeah, I think I had a really good discussion with my dad, who's also coached for 40-something years. And there's so much value in those seemingly meaningless meets, whether, you know, as a kid, mm-hmm. the January Open or the... November Open, you know, those, or those, when you're in college, those dual meets that seem to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we have another I'm one of these. so broken down, yeah. But there's value in each repetition that you're able to get, especially in a race like the 50. Like, you want yeah. to perform how you want to perform at the end of the year, every single time you have a chance to, even if it's in well, practice. For sure. And I think our sport can be a little bit deceiving, maybe, um, if you only look at it from like, I, my value is tied into the time that I swim at a swim meet. Like that, that is the value of, am I working hard? Am I focused on my race? Am I going to practice? Am I doing the right things? And I will know the answer if I swim fast at my swim meet. And, um, I think that's, it's a little bit distorted because when you get to a certain, you know, point in your career and that can come at, you know, various times. It can happen when you're 13. It can happen when you're 15. It happens when you get to college. But there comes a point in time where you don't go best times every time you swim. And so being able to realize, like, okay, this is a, a mid-season meet where, you know, I've been working really hard in practice. I'm not rested. I know that I'm not going to be on my best times. But what are some things that I can do in this race that are a positive or something that I can take away from this race that I've learned that I can apply to, um, you know, myself when I am at my best at the end of the season. And that could be something like, you know, I'm swimming a short course yards, 200 free today, and I am not going to breathe off of any of my turns, right? I'm going to take three strokes, 
And then I'm going to take my first breath. And you finish the race and maybe you're a couple seconds off your best time, but you're like, whoa, I just swam that better than I've ever swum a 200 free before. And so being able to evaluate your performance and still take positives away that are not time related. Because if you get so focused on your time, like you're going to be disappointed 99% of the time you dive in the water. Yeah, it's it definitely takes a shift in what you focus on as far as the measurables. It's that's a tough point in anyone's career. I feel like when I mean everyone goes through that period where every single time they touch the water, no matter what the meet is, you seem to go best time. You're like this is awesome. I think that's what hooks all of us on that kind of sport, you know. But there's so much more time in the sport where you are grinding away, and it could be years in between best times. Yes. <laughs> As you probably know, it's... Been there, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you're chasing improvements of 0.01 you'd be thrilled with. I had a coach that really helped put it in perspective. He would help me in mid-season meets or dual meets. He would keep records of how I did that time last year. So... Although I wasn't focused on going a best time, like personal best time, I was focused on beating the time that I was at that meet the year prior. And that kind of really helped keep everything in perspective for me. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure if you had something similar or anything like that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Just having um, like measurables, tangible things that you can use and it's it's different for everybody and it's I think it can be maybe frustrating or even challenging if you look left or you look right and your teammates or your friends are Mm -hmm. going best times or you know they're just seemingly appearance like ahead of where you are but the only person you can really judge progress or success by is is yourself and so having those measurables from the season before like you said or um from previous races and and it's it's hard (laughs) we naturally just as humans, we compare, but, um, but yeah, that goes back to, you know, I think just focusing in on, on your goals because they're going to be different from anybody else's. Yeah. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got from a coach was instead of worried about a teammate going off and going some crazy best time, use that as a positive for yourself because you train every day with them. Why not get excited for him? Because that means that's right around the corner for you, whether it's happening at that meet or down the road. If you're doing the same things they're doing, eventually kind of a breakthrough will be there. Oh, I I agree. I think success is contagious. Um, I was actually talking to one of my old coaches, um, Jack Bowerly, Mm -hmm. at Olympic Trials. And in 2016, uh, Jack is the head coach of the University of Georgia team. And in 2016, I think by day two, he had put like three or four kids on the Olympic team, you know, the Olympic trials are eight days and, and they're like, you know, a quarter of the way through and, and Jack had more swimmers on the Olympic team than any other team at that point. And I ran into him and I was like, Jack, you know, congratulations. Um, this must like excite the other kids that haven't even swam yet. And he was like, okay, there is no better motivator. There's no better, um, you know, thing that these kids could see right now than their own teammates swimming out of their minds. Success Mm -hmm. is contagious. And sure enough, you know, as the meet went on, he had more and more kids qualify for the Olympics. But um, I think you're right. It's it's like a domino effect. And, and, you know, the motivation, too, that you see your friends having success, you see your teammates having success, that gets you excited. You you feel like you're a part of it, and and then you want to contribute to it. Yeah, very well said. Uh, Success definitely is 
something that we can all catch kind of that wave together. Um, how did you learn to overcome maybe mistakes that happened in the moment? Did you ever have races where you missed the, either you slipped on the start or missed the turn a little bit? How did you overcome that mentally? Uh, yes. <laughs> many, many races where <laughs> <laughs> things went wrong. Um, but, you know, I think I, I love uh, like a prelims finals setting mm-hmm. just for that reason where um, you get the opportunity to kind of get the kinks out of your race early on and then, you know, you get to to redo it. You get to do another showing of your race that evening. And, um, I, I wouldn't say, you know, if I slipped on my start, if I missed my turn, whatever it was, it wasn't so much like I, um, I was mad at myself or, um, overly frustrated. I, I loved anytime I could get out of a race and be like, you know, bullet point one, bullet point two, bullet point three, check. Those are the things that I'm going to work on for next time because I wanted to have something to improve on. I wanted to have a challenge ahead of me. And, um, you know, I think something that's, that can be maybe a little bit deceiving is like, you have the best swim, you have the best race and you're like, man, how do I ever improve (laughs) on that? You know, that's, that's almost more discouraging, um, than things going wrong and be like, boom, I know how to fix that. Uh, you know, I can do this next time. So I actually really, um, really enjoy those opportunities for improvement. Yeah. That's always good to have something to improve on. I think the perfect swim or the perfect performance doesn't necessarily always exist. I think there's always something that everyone can improve on. What did your preparation kind of leading up to meets look like? Did you have sort of a set routine that got you mentally and physically ready to go? And if so, what did that kind of entail? (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, I... I try to like discourage people from thinking like, Oh, you have a meet coming up now, change everything, change your diet, change your sleeping, change your, you know, your friends, everything. Like you want to have as much consistency as possible. And so as far as like your diet goes, like I didn't make really drastic changes in my diet right before a big meet, you know, the night before my 53, I'm not eating a pound of spaghetti because that's (laughs) not how I typically fuel my body. And I think the more things that are familiar that you can do with your body, even when everything around you is getting hectic, let's say you're flying to a a big championship meet or you're driving a long way or you're staying in a hotel, there's all of these things that are outside of your control. So you're not sleeping in your own bed or you had a long travel day or whatever it is. Um, What are the things that you can control? And I think, you know, keeping your diet consistent is one of those things as well as, um, you know, keeping your sleep consistent and, and then like, you know, making sure that you still are are a social creature. You're still talking to your friends. You're still, um, being a good and supportive teammate. Um, and then as far as like the other stuff, like I, I feel like before a big meet, maybe in the week leading up to it, it's almost like the air around you changes mm-hmm. and like you start to feel like a little bit of like energy in the air and and you go through your whole pre-meet process of of you know shaving for the first time in in you know who knows how long and (laughs) and even the routine of of packing um your bag the night before you're racing like there's there's just a lot of things that um they contribute to the energy that you're feeling and it's just these like simple routine things but it it kind of changes everything else yeah i think that's 
it feels really good for me to hear you say that because that's something I preach all the time to people is you like why are you going to change things just because a big meet is coming up you should be trying to focus on keeping everything that you can the same because that's what you're familiar with and that puts you in the most familiar environment to for you to do your best yes absolutely um now i want to switch gears here and obviously your preparation worked for you can you describe what it was like to break an american record given kind of the deep (laughs) history of swimming that this country has had yeah um man okay so i my first i think my first american record that i individually broke was my freshman year at ncaa's um it was the short course meters 50 free american record and i i broke it in prelims Mm. um and it you know this is like my first ncaa championships and i hadn't i don't know why but i hadn't really raced the 50 free that much throughout the season and going into the meet um you know jack my coach was trying to really manage my expectations and and he pulled me aside and he was like, you know, okay, you don't, you don't have to win this. Don't, don't, don't feel all this pressure. You know, you just got to go out and do your best. And I, I kind of looked at him and I was like, yeah, yeah, Jack, I'm going to win. Like, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't need that kind of talk. <laughs> and, um, and I, it wasn't about me. I didn't, I didn't need to win so I could have a championship. We as a team were trying to win the national championship. And I was like, Jack, of course I'm going to like do whatever I can to get the most points for my team. Um, and so breaking the record, it, I wasn't shooting for that. I wasn't <laughs> like, I didn't even actually know what the time was when I, when I broke the record. But, mm-hmm. um, for me, it was like, okay, like I just put myself in the best position to score the most amount of points that I can for my team. Um, and then, you know, obviously the result on the other end was like, oh, that's, that's actually pretty cool. Like first record, like, okay, <laughs> I can do this. I think that's, what's awesome about kind of the NCAA experience is, at some point you lose concept of your own accomplishments for the bigger, greater good of the team's accomplishment. You know, swimming for a program like Georgia, you guys became pretty notoriously dominant um, as a program, especially on the women's side, always competing for national titles, it seems. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) it's funny, like when I talk to um, high school swimmers, who are going off to swim in college and it'll be like, you know, March and I'll, I'll be working with swimmers. I'm like, did you watch, you know, NCAAs yesterday or, you know, have you been keeping up with results? And it's always like, they're almost like let down. Like I cannot believe how fast that meet is, <laughs> you know, like it's a really intimidating thing when you're in high school and you look at people that are going like seconds, plural seconds faster than you in a 50 freestyle. Mm-hmm. And I, and I and you try to explain, you know, because NCAAs is the fastest meet in the world. And it's like, well, the times actually are the least important thing. And there's just something amazing in the air that happens when you get 200 and something swimmers together and you say, hey, like you are all swimming for points and you're swimming for places. And when times aren't really the focus, amazing things can happen. And I think that's what makes that meet so fast. Yeah, it's a unique um, level and environment to, to be a part of. Um, I never qualified for it personally, but uh, talking with people like you and I have a couple of friends that had, it's kind of an undescribable 
kind of environment to be a part of. Very neat mm-hmm. to be something bigger than yourself, though. Yeah, and we don't really get that opportunity a whole lot in swimming. Um, so anytime you can swim for, you know, a, a high school team, a college team, um, it's it's a really really cool experience as as a swimmer when you know you're now swimming for points and you're swimming for something much bigger than you. Yeah, I w- I always enjoyed that. I enjoyed my conference meets just for that reason. Now, obviously, swimming has kind of ended for you you've transitioned to a variety of different life ventures before we get into kind of what you're currently doing how did that transition period uh, work for you was that a hard one what advice do you have for those that are currently kind of in limbo between maybe athletics and post-athletic life yes i there's no way around it that transition is hard even if you're like okay i'm gonna retire from swimming after my senior year of college or my senior year of high school or i'm gonna retire after this next olympics um even if you know what you want to do next it is still really hard and i think that's just the the nature of transitions in life and um you know i retired when i was 26 from swimming and when I talk about that in front of people that are not swimmers, I kind of get a chuckle from from people like, "Oh, you retired at 26," and it's it's true. It is it is actually a retirement, you know, closing the chapter on something and then having the uh, ability to open up, you know, a book to a, a new chapter and and you know your next phase in life. And it doesn't really matter what you retire from and what age you do retire, whether you retire at 18, 22, 26, you know, 70. Retirement is is tricky, and you have a moment where I remember, um, I think it was like October of 2012. So Olympics ended in August, you know, we did a big, um, big press tour. We went to the white house, you know, all of that stuff. And it was like October when everything finally started to settle down. And I remember I was sitting on my couch in my living room and I was like looking at the time and I was like, Oh wait, I don't have to be anywhere today. And (laughs) I'm not accountable to anyone and it's not just today it's tomorrow too and the next day and and it was like this like epiphany that hit me and I was like wait a minute (laughs) I wasn't expecting that um I think the accountability thing can be can be really tricky too but um transitions are just really hard and and I I can't sugarcoat it and I think you know I I did have um a very I had a good experience with my transition even though there were like post-Olympic blues and and things like that. Um, I think I'm very fortunate with how my transition did unfold for me, Um, but it was still hard. And I think the thing that I decided to do was um, I decided to say yes to everything that came my way. So any job that I was offered, any speaking engagement that was given to me, any anything you want to you know work with this team you want to speak to this business you want to mentor kids you want to whatever came my way I was like Kara just say yes and you might not know what you want to do right now but by the nature of saying yes to everything you're you'll figure out what you don't want to do and maybe one of those things will really stick and and you'll know what you want to pursue next but um that was kind of my my method I guess sounds like you took your student of swimming approach and kind of applied that on the back end of things you kind of (laughs) you studied everything um and anything that came your way and you kind of found what stuck now one of the things that obviously probably stuck was you're currently a ceo of lead which is a company 
for Teenage Girl Leadership. Can you walk us through one what that yeah. com- what your role with the company is and what the company is trying to accomplish? Yeah. Um, so, like you mentioned, lead we do um, teenage girl leadership and confidence, um, and this this came about very organically for me. I was um, coaching at a swim school mm-hmm. uh, called Swim Labs. And we, we coach um, in an environment with endless pools. So that means that I have a remote um, that controls the speed of the pool. And I have a TV monitor. And I have about four or five cameras. And so I would get clients to come in and, and work with me one-on-one. And Swim Labs is, is just a great environment. And this is like the first job I ever, ever had at like 27 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I had clients that were six years old. Um, you know, doing summer league uh, through club swimmers, kids swimming in college, kids competing in trials, um, masters swimmers, triathletes, um, up to age probably 65. So I had the whole range. And um, I never promoted my lessons or advertised them. And, and when I started, I was like, okay, Kara, you know, this is one of your things that you're saying yes to. And, you know, if, if you're good, people will come. And if you're not, you're going to know this is something to move on from. And um, little by little, my client list really started to grow. And I would say it was about 75% of my clients were teenage girls. And I loved, loved my teenage girl clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would come in and, you know, they'd be like frustrated with their their meat or nervous about, you know, whatever was going on. And the solution for working with them, it, it wasn't like, oh, it's because your hip position is just 15 degrees off, or it's because you're only doing five kicks of a six-feet kick. That's what's wrong. It was always something else. And so um, the, the women at Swim Labs would be like, oh, Kara does swim therapy. And I would get parents that would bring their daughters and be like, you know, okay, Kara, like, we're, we're here. We're so excited. Honestly, she didn't even bring a bathing suit because I don't care if she swims. We're just here to talk. And I realized there was such a need for this in our sport, um, specifically for teenage girls. And um, I, I had a really long wait list of girls that were trying to get in for a lesson. And I remember being like, man, I, I wish I could do more. I wish I could send them to some kind of camp or a retreat where they could get all the answers that they're looking for. Because I have a lot of answers, but I don't have all of the answers. And I went looking for something and I couldn't find it. And that's really what led me to start the Lead Sports Summit. And so for lead, we bring in specialists in confidence, leadership, nutrition, and mental health, Mm. as well as a handful of uh, female Olympians and national team swimmers. And for four days, the girls get to, you know, hear from not only their heroes, like Elizabeth Beisel and Missy Franklin, but from people who studied and specialized in specific topics that they're really interested in. And it's always like my favorite thing is getting... um, feedback from parents after the lead summit's over and they'll be like we, we give the girls workbooks mm-hmm. be like my daughter doesn't take this much this many notes in uh, an entire semester in school and she came home with a workbook stuffed <laughs> with notes front and back top to bottom extra pages you know size eight font and and i always get a chuckle out of that because we give them this environment where every topic is something that they're so interested in and it's things that they really want to learn about and improve on because it goes back to the thing that they're most passionate about, which is their sport. That's fantastic. Because I feel like, I mean, you're probably familiar. You, for every athlete like yourself, there's probably 10 that, you know, give up on the sport and, and drop off. And a lot of it, I feel like, has to do with 
the support systems in place or not in place. Um, people don't kind of know where to turn to when, you know, going gets tough and there's some confidence issues. So it's great to see you're cultivating an environment and like things like the lead summit to help those people out the most that need it. Yeah. We, I mean, we want girls to stay in their sport as long as they can and, and for whatever that means for them. Um, whether that means they swim through high school or they, they swim college division one, two or three, um, you know, the more female athletes that this world has, the better. And it's just, there are so many incredible things that we learn as athletes and as women athletes. And there's like some crazy statistics. It's like 90 something percent of women in the C-suite. So women in executive positions at companies are former athletes. And I think that says a lot. It says a lot about you know, what sports can teach you and, and how it can really help you get far in life. And it has nothing to do with how hard you can kick a ball or, you know, how, how fast you can dive off the blocks. It has to do with the environment and the, the things that you're, you're going through as an athlete, the stressors that you're put through at a young age that you really learn how to navigate. And so we, we want to make sure that we can do whatever we can to, to keep girls competing and to keep them as athletes. Yeah, I think there's no surprise that that statistic is there because sport, you know, the whole premise of uh, like this podcast is the intangibles and the mindset and the mentality that playing sports, you know, doesn't have to even be at the most elite level. Playing sports at any level helps you to develop and cultivate that mindset that allows you to be successful in other aspects of your life as well. Yes, any level. I totally agree with that. Um, now, you also transitioned to keynote speaking. Um, one of the topics that you touch on, we can touch on here briefly, is kind of staying in your lane and playing the long game. What would be your best summarized message of that topic? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's something that I believed in as an athlete. It's something I believe in as a business owner. Um, I think that there's a lot of value to, um, just becoming a master at, at whatever it is, is your thing. You know, so for me, I, I really specialized in the 50 free. And I think if I, you know, halfway through my career, I was like, man, I really want to see what I can do in the tuner breaststroke. And I split my time between the 50 free and the tuner breaststroke, you know, it probably would have taken away from the, you know, the studiousness that I could put into the 53, the the improvements that I could make. And um, even though like it can be very frustrating at times to not go a best time, but still saying, you know, like, Hey, I'm in it for the long game. I'm not going to, you know, jump ship right now because things aren't necessarily going my way. I am working every day towards mastering my craft and that doesn't happen overnight. And I think it applies to so many different things in life. You know, for for me as a business owner, we we have been uh, we get a lot of you know advice from um, other business owners and and people that are in our um, in our field about what it is that we're doing. And a big thing that that people tell us is like, hey, you know, you guys should really do a lead summit for boys. And we're like, yeah, you know, I definitely understand that there's a value in that but but our specialty is working with girls and if there is anybody any man out there that wants to you know create the lead summit for boys i will help you as much as i can but for me 
you know, staying in my lane is really working with teenage girl athletes. And it applies to business in so many ways. Um, and I, I always like the analogy of like, because we're always told like, oh, well, what's your weakness? You have to work on your weakness. And I kind of like, I have always pushed my, my students, my athletes to figure out what your strength is. Like, hey, everybody, like, what's the thing that you are really good at? You know, and, and that goes for whether I'm talking to athletes or whether I'm talking in a corporate setting. What's the thing that you're really good at? The thing that separates you from the person next to you. And then find that thing and make yourself the best at it. Like double down in that thing. You know, like how can you separate yourself from anybody else? Um, and I think it has to do with finding your strengths and staying in your lane and then take that thing as far as you can. Yeah, I think people get easily lost in the weakness game of and then they're stuck trying to do things that they're not great at when they could take that strength and bring it to that next level um you look at kind of the historically great companies you know like apple like steve jobs was great at what he did but he needed you know someone else there with him to help run and bring his vision to life he focused on what he did well and he brought in a team around him to help him with what he wasn't great at, um, which I think we can all you know, take a page out of that notebook and and implement into our lives a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's I I love the idea of you know surrounding yourself with people who who have a strength that's your weakness. You know, Steve Jobs didn't code anything ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he wasn't a coder, and yet he created like the most successful technology company. And um, you know, as athletes, like you're around on a medley relay around people that are specializing in strokes that you're not swimming because together the four of you are better when everyone's focusing on their strengths. And it's not just about you trying to be the best at everything. It's about you being the best at your one thing and executing that as good as you can. Yeah. When you're able to surround yourself with three other people that complement that really well, you become a lot better relay team with a lot more success. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Obviously, right now, there's just a ton of unknowns kind of going on in the world, not just in the world of sports, but with the Olympics being pushed back a year, meets like NCAAs being canceled, there's a lot of uncertainty. Do you have any advice to those current athletes on kind of keeping their mindset in the right place and getting through this kind of difficult time? Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing about it right now is like, it is such an unprecedented time, so it's not like... You know, I can like, oh, hey, kids, I went through this, too, when I was your age, because I didn't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that's something that, um, you know, everybody kind of realizes is like parents are navigating this for the first time. Coaches are navigating this for the first time. Athletes are navigating this. I think the biggest thing to think of is like there will come a time where this is over. We don't really know when that day is yet, but this won't last forever. It will end. And like what kind of person, what kind of athlete are you going to be on the other side of this? You know, are there's so many things right now that we have access to, whether it's webinars, whether it's dryland programs that you can do at home, whether it's stretching, whether it's um, learning how to meditate. But there are things that we can all do in this time of pause to make ourselves better. And and maybe it's you know things that we just never really had time or the energy to focus on before. And so it's just about how you approach this. Like, okay, this is going to end at some point. Am I going to come out of this better than I was in, in, you know, these three things? And, and is my flexibility going to be better? Is my, um, my mental game going to be better? Or, um, 
whatever that is. Are you going to be, are you going to have a better feel for the water when you come out of this? Probably not. That's okay. Good thing that comes back really fast. Um, But there are other things that you can focus on. And I think, you know, just the things that you have control over and, um, and, you know, also being there for other people because however hard this is for you, we, we, I mean, there are so many people going through really, really hard times right now. And, and so what can we do to lift up those people around us? And it's almost like you want to be a big, a good teammate for everybody on planet Earth right now. Like, how can we better everybody around us? How can we support everybody around us by doing our part? Um, so there's just there's a lot of similarities to that you can pull from being an athlete um, and really try to get through this uh, as best you can. I think you said it perfectly. <laughs> there's there's a lot of stuff just like I said unknown and it's going to be the people that are able to take that time and really get comfortable with doing the uncomfortable work you know whether you made up those excuses of I never have time for mobility work or flexibility because school and swimming are going on or whatever your sport is now is like the perfect time to kind of distract yourself and, and work on that kind of you know part of your craft um, kind of working on your weaknesses a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kara, I want to thank you, you know, f- so much for your time and just acknowledge kind of everything that you're doing for both the sport of swimming and especially for teenage girls and leadership and sport in general. It's great to see athletes in the position that you're in, being able to pass it forward to that next generation. Where can these listeners keep up with you and kind of all that you're doing moving forward here? Um, yeah, you can find me on social media. Um, I'm just at Carolyn Joyce on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can find lead at lead sports summit on both Instagram and Twitter as well. I think lead is also on Facebook. We do quite a few things on Facebook, but, um, yeah, I, I'm not like the best <laughs> at my <laughs> social media, um, on the regular, but, um, I, we are really good, um, with our lead sports summit social and we engage with girls every day there um constantly answering dms from girls and parents and um so there's a lot of good content coming out of that so um and and i'm also i'm always answering my dms so anybody out there who has a question you can reach out to me anytime um through my social media or just emailing me cara at carolynjoyce.com fantastic well i'll definitely be passing this along to uh, the people that I work with and I coach, uh, I know a lot of those girls especially can get a lot of value out of this. Thanks again for the time. Perfect. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Kara. She is doing a lot of good in this world, and I'm thankful to be able to share her message. If you haven't done so already, send this episode to a friend, family member, or teammate who could maybe use an extra boost right now. Stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by following me on Instagram at Athletic Mindset Podcast. And remember, if you can change your mindset and how you think, you'll be able to change your life one thought at a time. I'll see you all next week.